all you have. You're now tuned in to the caucus race. So just sit back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Star Wars family? It's your boy, Kyle, and I'm back with another season of Star Wars Audio Archives, where we are going to be taking a deep dive into Star Wars Red Harvest, a story set right in the middle of the Old Republic era, approximately 3,645 BBY, and it tells the story of a deadly plague that is ravaging the galaxy. Real quick, I would like to give a shout out to Jeremy Owens, who read this story for us. Jeremy is a huge Star Wars fan, and he does an amazing job of bringing this story to life. Also, real quick, I would like to say thanks to Theodore for putting this episode together in a few hours so we could get it out to you because I made a big mistake. I forgot all about Red Harvest, which is set right between the Seed and the Old Republic's Federal Alliance. So we really put the pedal to the metal to get this done and ready for you. My MS brain be making me forget all kind of stuff, and I completely forgot about Red Harvest. But we got it done just in time, so sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride as we embark on an epic adventure through the Star Wars universe. So let's get started. 3645 BBY. Wim Nichter stood just outside the circle, awaiting first blood. The cold morning air of Odacer Fauston tasted like ozone, numbing his tongue and lips, making his heart pound harder in his chest until it actually shook the heavy fabric of his wind-resistant tunic. He had climbed the 77 steps to the top of the temple with the other students. Muscles aching, sweat from his exertions still drying in the wind. The lightsaber training session was over. Now the duels would begin. In the three standard years since he'd arrived at the academy, Nictor had come to appreciate these duels with a special kind of excitement. A tall, rangy 17-year-old with a thatch of jet-black hair. He gazed into the circle with hungry, blue-gray eyes that matched the unforgiving landscape almost perfectly. Nictor looked down. From the top of the temple, the Sith Academy resembled nothing so much as a partially demolished wheel. Its spokes radiating crookedly out from the central hub of the tower. Its ancient chambers, enclosed walkways, tunnels and temples, and the great library that served as its haunted heart had all long ago begun to crumble and deteriorate from decades of accumulated snow and ice and the constantly shifting tectonic eccentricities of the planetary crust. The result was a sprawling ruin of forgotten spaces, some of them palatial, groaning under tons of age-tortured Sith architecture. It was here that they'd come, Nictor and several hundred others, to learn everything they needed to know about the dark side of the Force. Directly across from him, Lord Shakeweth, the Sith Blademaster, took three steps forward into the open space, turning to regard the students from beneath the hood of his cloak. For a moment, the wind had fallen still. All was quiet except for the scrape of his boots across the flat, uneven surface. The Blademaster's stony countenance betrayed no hint of expression. The thin, lipless slit of his mouth never moved. No comment was made, nor was any needed. This was the moment when the first challenge would be made, and Nictor, along with all his peers, had heard the rumors. 
This was the day that Lusk was going to issue his challenge. Rance Lusk was the Academy's top student, a Sith acolyte of such fierce promise and potential that few, if any, dared approach him, let alone face him in a duel. These days he spent most of his time in private training sessions with Shaqueth and the other masters at the Academy. Some said that he'd even sat in meditation with Lord Skabros himself up in the tower, although Nictor had his private doubts about this last bit. He hadn't met a student yet who actually claimed to have been inside the tower. Even so, he waited, holding his breath. The group had fallen absolutely silent. A moment later, Lusk stepped forward. He was an agile, muscular figure in a robe and tunic, with a long face and flaming red hair that he'd grown long, pulled back and kept braided so tightly that it pulled on the corners of his pale green eyes, giving them a slightly slanted look. But his most outstanding feature was the self-contained silence that hovered around him like a lethal cloud. To approach him closely was to experience a climate of dull dread. The one or two times Nictor had accidentally bumped into Lusk in the halls of the Academy, he'd actually felt the temperature drop along with the oxygen content. Lusk emanated menace. He breathed it out like carbon dioxide. Nictor felt his whole body fall still, save his pounding heart, as Lusk turned slowly to regard his fellow acolytes with an indifferent, almost reptilian stare. As far as opponents went, there were only a few worthy of his time. Lusk's gaze passed over Jura Astrogoth, Skopik, Nace, Rat some of the most skilled duelists in the group. If challenged, Nictor wondered, would any of them accept? The humiliation of backing down was nothing compared with the potential catastrophe of losing to Lusk in the circle. In his hands, even a training blade with its durasteel shaft and millions of microscopic toxin-filled barbs could deal out disastrous injury. Lusk stopped and Nictor realized that the red-haired acolyte was staring at him. Lusk's words hung in the air. I challenge Nictor. At first, Nictor was certain that he'd misheard. Then the reality sank in, and he felt his innards drop, as if the ground itself had abruptly vaporized beneath his feet. Time seemed to have stopped... He was aware of Shaquith and all the apprentices turning around to look in his direction, waiting for him to step forward or back down. As a purely practical matter, Lusk's selection made no sense. Although he could hold his own in practice, Nictor was clearly the other student's inferior, providing no opportunity to hone his skills or even offer the others a good performance. Still, the challenge hovered in the air between them, unanswered. Well, Nictor? The Blade Master asked. What do you say? Nictor lowered his head, feeling a slow, familiar warmth crawl into his cheeks and neck. He was aware that a formal reply wasn't necessary. Simply bowing his head and stepping back would be answer enough, and a moment later, the whispers would begin as what little prestige he'd managed to garner here in the last two years began to evaporate around him. It was an unwinnable dilemma, of course, 
but at least this way he would walk away intact. Several of Lusk's previous opponents hadn't been so lucky. The last three had left the academy after losing to him. One had taken his own life. It was as if losing to Lusk had done something to them, inflicted some profound inner wound from which there was no recovery. The answer was obvious. Nictor would just step backward and bow out. And so he was as shocked as any of them when he heard himself say, I accept. The murmur of surprise rippled audibly through the other apprentices. Even Shackweth cocked one thorny eyebrow. Nictor blinked, unable to believe what he just said. He hadn't meant to speak at all. The words had bubbled out of him involuntarily. Looking up at Lusk, seeing the slightest hint of a smile curling at the corners of that small, unremarkable mouth, Nictor realized that, of everyone here, only Lusk was unsurprised by his response. And for the first time, Nictor saw what was happening. This wasn't about dueling at all. It was about something else entirely. Well then, Lusk said, beckoning with his free hand. Come on. Before he knew it, Nictor felt himself being sucked forward into the ring, one foot and then the other, dragging the rest of his body along with it. His heart raced as his body registered that this was actually happening. No, his mind protested. I'm not doing this. I don't want this. But that didn't matter, because all he could see now was Lusk's smile broadening enough to show a faint yellow glint of canines behind the lips. Nictor knew what was going on, and what was worse, Lusk knew that he knew. Lusk's eyes were braziers of pure, sadistic pleasure and their intensity transformed his otherwise plain face, distorting it somehow, making it appear horrible. They were face to face now, close enough that Nictor could feel that terrible coldness spilling out of Lusk's pores, and Lusk raised his training blade, its shaft hissing up through the air as he placed himself in standard ready position. Don't. Nictor wanted to say, his eyes silently pleading, but instead he saw his own blade go up. It was too late. Whatever was being done to him, whatever Lusk was doing to him, Lusk's blade swung down hard and fast. Nictor reacted instantly with instinctive speed and agility ingrained from countless practice sessions. Metal struck metal with a clang that shook the air, reverberating through the circle around them and making it hum like a high-voltage circuit. Something snapped to life inside Nictor, and when Lusk came at him again, he was ready, deflecting Lusk's next thrust with a sharp, unhesitating parry and snapping back with a move that suddenly created an opening between them. From what sounded like far away, Nictor heard the crowd let out a slight, appreciative mutter. He'd already outlasted their most pessimistic expectations. Lusk charged forward again, and Nictor sprang to deflect the thrust less skillfully now. That fleeting sense of competence was already gone, stripped away, replaced by a dizzy loss of perspective. How had he gotten so close so quickly? 
Drosk was moving too fast, and Nikter's blade seemed to have come to life all on its own in his hand, jerking and slashing to hold Lusk off. But Lusk's cold smile told the whole story. I own you, maggot, it said, the strength of the other cadets' will booming through Nikter's skull, and you will do as you are told. No. Nikter's jaw clenched, summoning what remained of his resolve. He understood now that his only hope lay in freeing himself, wresting his will from Lusk's authority. What the other acolyte was practicing on him now was obviously some advanced force mind control technique learned from one of the Sith Lords at the Academy, perhaps at the knee of Scabros himself. Had the rumors of his secret tutelage been true after all? Whatever the case, for reasons known only to Lusk, he decided to try it out this morning on Nictor, and Nictor had nothing to counter with. With an audible grunt of effort, Nictor surged forward again, blade at the ready, only to be met by a bemused smirk of contempt, as if Lusk expected nothing else. In a series of moves, Lusk sequenced seamlessly from a brutal and precise Makashi attack to the more acrobatic Form 4, flipping up from a standing position, spinning mid-air and landing behind Nictor before he'd even had a chance to react. Too late, Nictor heard the blade hiss off to his right, whipping across his elbow, and he let out a sharp, agonized cry as his hand went numb, fingers springing open to release his blade. Helpless, disarmed, he felt the cold tip of Lusk's durosteel come to rest against the back of his neck, biting into the skin just below the base of his skull. There was that awful numb sensation that Nictor knew all too well, the second before the nerve ending registered an overload of pain. At least it was over. Now, Lusk's voice throbbed inside his head. It was low and toneless, an irresistible command. Push yourself backward into my blade. Nicta resisted, straining forward, muscles drawing taut in his neck, but it was useless. He couldn't hold back. The pain swelled, doubled back on itself, grew infinitely worse, shrieking through him, and some grim instinctive part of him knew that he was seconds away from severing his own spinal cord, shorting out his brain and extinguishing all remaining thought in that final instant of consciousness. He sucked air through his teeth and looked out as if from some great distance at the faces of the others outside the circle staring him down. Their eyes were bright and eager awaiting the inevitable coup de grace. Curse you, Nictor thought. Curse every stinking one of you. I hope you all have to endure this torture, or worse. I hope you each suffer like I am suffering now. I hope... With a gasp, <gasps> Nictor lurched forward, suddenly free, away from the blade, reaching up to place one hand over the painful but ultimately superficial wound it had left just above the bony knob of his vertebral prominence. He could barely manage to keep his hand upright. The battle, both physical and mental, had reduced his body to a blurry hologram of its former self, muscles trembling, wrung to rags, skin and hair drenched in fresh sweat. His head felt like it was going to explode. He couldn't catch his breath. 
turning around to face Lusk on legs that seemed as though they might betray him and buckle at any moment, he caught a glimpse of the other acolyte's impenetrable green eyes. You only lived because I let you, those eyes said. And Nictor understood that in the end, Lusk's act of mercy had sentenced him to the greater humiliation of unwarranted survival. He looked away, turned, and made his way through the crowd. No one spoke or made a sound as he followed the stony steps downward from the top of the temple to the snow-strafed walkway below. By noon, news of Nictor's defeat had traveled through the entire academy. None of the other students had seen what had happened to him afterward. But Jura Ostrogoth assumed that Nictor had gone to the infirmary to be treated for his physical wounds, or back to the dorms to lick his less tangible ones. Either way, Jura told Kindra, the two of them ducking past the crooked slab of stone that marked one of the five entranceways to the academy's library, it doesn't matter now, does it? He was barely scraping by anyway. Kendra nodded, but didn't say anything. They were on their way to the dining hall for their midday meal. After a brief reprieve this morning, it was snowing again, harder now. Thin, sand-dry pellets seething over the ground in front of them, creeping up over the walkways and drifting up against the academy's outer walls. Jura, who'd grown up on Chaswa in the Aura sector, was well-adjusted to such weather and walked with his robe open at the throat, hardly noticing the wind gusting through its fabric. He had seen other acolytes from warmer climates trying to affect the same air of brazen indifference through chattering teeth and blue lips, but the cold truly didn't bother him, never had. What about Lusk? Kendra asked. Jura cast a sidelong glance at her. What about him? Did anybody see where he went? Who knows? He wasn't quite able to disguise the annoyance in his voice. Lusk comes and goes as he pleases. Days go by without anyone seeing him. From what I've heard, he let the words trail off, looking up at the tower that rose from the very center of the academy, an immense black cylinder jutting against the gray sky. Every so often, black vapor would billow up from the top, staining the sky, raining down thick and gritty bits of ash, and the smell was bad enough to make his eyes and nose water. Unlike the cold, Jura had never gotten used to smoke and ash. What have you heard? Kendra asked. He shook his head. Just rumors. I've heard them too. She was staring at him pointedly. And not just about Lusk. What are you talking about? Nothing, she said, and walked past him into the dining hall. His midday meal in front of him, a stringy lump of Mubasa hock and canned mantra fruit, Jura Ostrogoth pondered the dining hall around him with a watchful eye. He'd been around long enough to know that violence begat violence. That news of what had happened to Nictor could easily inflame some other apprentice's desire to move upward in the academy's pecking order. And Jura was just high enough up to be a target. He ate alone, as did most of the students, with his back to the wall as much as possible. There wasn't much talk, just the steady clink of utensils and trays. 
When you were here, you powered through the meal as quickly as possible and got back to your training sessions or study, meditation, and force drills. Time spent socializing was time wasted. It showed weakness, a lack of discipline and vigilance that was practically an invitation to your enemies. Jura! He paused and looked around. Hartwig was standing there with Skopik by his side. Their trays were full, but neither one of them looked like he was planning on sitting down there. What is it? You hear about Nictor? What, at the temple? Jura shrugged. That's old news. Hartwig shook his head. He disappeared. Shocker, Jura shrugged, turning back to his food. He was peripherally aware of the other apprentices nearby, inclining their heads ever so slightly forward to eavesdrop on the conversation, and wondered if there might be more worth hearing. He's probably off someplace feeling sorry for himself. No, I mean he literally disappeared, Hartwig said. The medtech, Arljack, told Skopik all about it. One minute he was at the infirmary getting treated for that cut on his arm. Arl went to check on one of the other patients, and when he came back, Nictor was gone. So he just walked out. Hartwig leaned forward, lowering his voice. He's the fourth one this year. What's that supposed to mean? You know what they're saying. Jura sighed, realizing where the conversation was going. You've been talking to Rat too much. Maybe so, Skopik said, speaking up for the first time. But maybe, in this case, Rat knows what he's talking about. Jura turned all the way around and glared at him. Skopik was a Zabrak, and his tribal tattoos and the array of vestigial horns sprouting up from his scalp had always been a source of deep pride. In conversation, he tended to keep his head tilted slightly forward for dramatic effect and with the light behind him so that the shadows of the horns cut down over the geometry of his face like daggers. For a moment, the two faced each other in tense silence. We've all heard the same thing, Jorah said, keeping his voice even. Thinning the herd, the experiments. What's your point? Skopik leaned in close. Lord Scapris. What about him? If he is abducting students for his own purposes, then someone needs to find out who might be next. Jura let out a dry little laugh, but it didn't come out as dismissive or scornful as he'd hoped. And how do you plan on getting that information? I'm not, the Zabrak told him and pointed at him. You are. Me? You're perfect for the job. Everyone knows you have the survival instincts of a hungry Dianoga. You'll find a way. Jura pushed back his chair and stood up in one fluid motion. Swinging one hand forward, he reached up and snapped his fingers tight around the Sabrak's throat, clamping down on the windpipe hard enough that he felt the cartilage pop. It happened so fast that despite the strength and weight discrepancy, Skopik was caught off guard, but only momentarily. When he spoke again, his voice was calm, almost casual, and quiet enough that only Jura could hear him. There's a saying on my home planet, Ostrogoth. Only a fool turns his back on an unpaid debt. You think about that? Skopik nodded slightly at Jura's arm. 
Now, because you do still have some value to me, I'll allow you to remove your hand from my throat voluntarily and save face in front of our peers. But the next time I see you, you will tell me what you found out about the disappearances. The Zabrak smiled thinly. Or else the rest of the Academy will soon see a side of you that I don't think you want them to see. A very unflattering side. Do we understand each other? Jorah's jaw tightened too angry to trust his voice for a reply. Instead, he managed a curt nod. Good, Skopik said. A second later, the Zabrak turned and walked away. When he and Hartwig stepped out the door, Jorah Ostrogoth carried his untouched meal to the waste receptacle and dumped it in, tray and all. He'd lost his appetite. Outside the dining hall, back out in the cold, Jura stalked through the snow, fists clenched and trembling at his side. After he'd gone a few meters from the doorway, where he was sure no one could see, he stepped into a narrow alcove and stared at the stone wall. Fury boiled in his chest. Or else the rest of the Academy will soon see a side of you that I don't think you want them to see. Skopik's voice mocked in his head. Do we understand each other? Jura's thoughts flashed back four standard years to the day he'd first arrived at the Academy. A scared and ignorant kid from the other side of the galaxy. He'd spent his first couple of days keeping a low profile, avoiding everyone, hoping to get his bearings before anybody had a chance to push him around. But that wasn't how things worked around here. On the third morning, he'd been in the dorm, making up his bunk, when a fist swung out and smashed him hard between the shoulder blades, knocking him to the floor where he lay gasping for air. When Jura managed to roll over and look up, he saw a gigantic Sith apprentice named Manonk Tusank looming over him. Tusank was stronger and older than Jura, and the smirk on his face was one of nearly homicidal glee. You look good lying there on the floor, newbie, Tusank leered at him. You know what you'd look even better doing? Licking my boots. He'd held out one of his filthy leather dung kickers, waving the toe right under Jura's nose, close enough that Jura could smell the tauntaun droppings. Tasank had been sentenced to cleaning the paddocks for some minor offense. Go ahead, newbie. Give him a good tongue polish. Even then, Jura had known this was a test. How he responded would determine the way he was treated forever after in the Academy's court of public opinion. Grimly, with the air of someone planning his own funeral, he had stood up and told Tasank exactly what he could do with his boot. The results had been even worse than he'd expected. Tasank punched him in the face so hard that Jura blacked out. And when he woke up, his entire head was a gonging carillon of pain. He couldn't move. There was a dirty rag stuffed in his mouth, crammed so far back that he almost choked on it. Looking down, he saw that he was naked and tied to the bunk by his feet and ankles, while Toussaint stood over him, grinning with malevolence that bordered on madness. When Jura tried to inhale, he started gagging, and panic took hold of him. He lost all control and burst into frightened tears, while Toussaint howled with laughter. And then, abruptly, the laughter had stopped. 
His last memory of Tsang was the thin, surprised yelp that the sadistic apprentice had let out right before he'd gone flying backward out the door. When Jura had craned his head and looked up through tear-blurred eyes, he'd seen Skopik standing there. The Zabrak had made no immediate move to untie him. Instead, he'd been holding what Jura realized was some type of holocam, pointing it at him while the lens auto-focused. Smile, Skopik had said from behind the cam, walking around the bunk, still recording Jura where he lay struggling to regain control of baser bodily functions. Hold on. Let me get your good side. When he was satisfied with the footage, he'd put the recorder away, yanked the rag out of Jura's mouth, and untied him. Get up. Come on. He glanced back out the half-open door, where Tsang had landed, half-conscious and crumpled. I gave him a good shot to the head, but it won't keep him down forever. Jura struggled to his feet, wiped the blood and snot from his nose, and hurriedly struggled back into his robes. Thanks, he mumbled. Skopik waved Jura's gratitude off as if it disgusted him, then ejected a holla cartridge from the cam and slipped it into his pocket, giving it a protective little pat. For safekeeping, he said, and Jura got the message. None of what happened had been about kindness or mercy. Jura was in his pocket now, and however long he stayed here, the Zabrak wasn't going to let him forget it. And, uh, newbie... Skopik had said on his way out the door. Welcome to the Academy. Welcome to the Academy. Jerked back into the present moment by the blazing flames of his own anger, Jura blinked away the image of the cartridge in the Sabrak's pocket. Standing here in the shadows between buildings, the urge to lash out was something he could no longer master. He raised both hands and unleashed a burst of dark side energy into the wall itself. Electric heat leapt through his wrists and palms, slamming into the rock, cracking it down the middle. He closed his eyes and exhaled, momentarily relieved. He knew he should have saved his anger, held on to it, and used it in one of the combat drills. But he couldn't help himself. Opening his eyes again... He looked at the cracked wall. It had been strong, but now it was damaged, its value weakened in some fundamental way by what had been inflicted on it. I am that wall. Turning away, he stepped back out of the shadows, his mind already trying to work out how he was going to get Skopik's information for him. Holy guacamole, and that was just the first part of Red Harvest. I can't believe how much has happened. We were taken back in time into the old Republic era, and I was immediately hooked. This part was just the beginning, and I can hardly contain my excitement for what's to come. There are so many highs and lows and adventures waiting for us. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. But that's not all. We also have the quote for this episode, and this one comes to us from Jedi Master Quinlan Voss. All right, picture this. You're in the middle of an epic Star Wars adventure, and here comes Master Quinlan Voss with some mind-blowing wisdom, because he drops this gem. Strength lies not in the absence of fear, but in the courage to face it. Boom. Mind blown. So what does it mean? Well, listen up. Quinlan Voss is telling us that being strong doesn't mean being totally fearless. Even the most powerful Jedis can have a case of the jitters, just like us regular folks. It's all about accepting the fear as part of our lives, but not letting it control us. But wait, 
The real strength comes from summoning the courage to face those fears head on. Imagine yourself as a Jedi, lightsaber in hand, ready to take on Darth Vader. That takes guts, right? That's the kind of courage Quinlan Voss is talking about. And here's the kicker. When we face our fears, something magical happens. We grow, we transform, and we become even stronger. It's like leveling up in a video game. By bravely tackling those challenges, we become the heroes of our own story. So remember, my fellow adventurers, don't shy away from the fear. Embrace it. Summon your inner Jedi and face those challenges with courage. That's where true strength lies. And that's all I have for this week. I hope you enjoyed the first part of Rev Harvest as much as I did. And I hope you'll join me next time for more Star Wars adventures. Until then, may the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pickfield Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and is distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars Red Harvest was read to you by Jeremy Owens. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.